for the evening talk is a commentary on a poem by the South American poet Pablo Neruda and the poem is Keeping Quiet and some years ago I was while I was here at Barry, in fact, I was introduced both to the poetry of Pablo Neruda and also this particular poem by a friend, uh, Brian. And one of those poems which I and those of you here who know this poem, I'm sure, love and appreciate dearly. Firstly, I would just, just like to spend uh, just a few minutes speaking about the poet and then from there read the poem to you and then take it verse by verse. Pablo Ruda is Chilean, was born in Paral in 1904 and, very, and was born the son of a, a railway worker. His mother died when he was three or four years old and Neruda, which is actually the name of, uh, his name was a poet, um, was born in a region of Chile which was one which would, one might dis describe as wild, as un untamed, in a far out region of Chile. And many of his poems, in some way or other, not only reflect, reflect the immediate perceptions of life, but also mirror to some of the past and some of his early childhood. And it wasn't long, in fact, in his teens when Neruda established himself in Italy as a poet and received a number of awards when he was in his mid-teens at college. And by the age of 20, and that was in the mid-1920s, was being regarded in Chile as one of the foremost poets of the country. And with Neruda, through the years of the 1920s and 30s, he travelled extensively, spending periods of time in Asia, in Rangoon, in Colombo, in Singapore, um, constantly throughout this period writing poetry, and, and was something of a, a representative for Chile engaged in various forms of, I understand, of diplomatic work. And then, during the mid-period of the Second World War, he became the consul for the Chilean government and spent a period of time in uh, Mexico. And during, or rather, just after this period of time, he became uh, he was a Marxist, became a member, a very active member of the Communist 
party in Chile and he felt as a number of uh, poets have done from uh, South America particularly that the expression and concerns about life and the communication of feelings into the realities of life can and fit in with the concerns of that Marx had with regard to the poor and the underprivileged uh, and all the disparities that are prevalent within, within society. And so Neruda moved from being a poet to an activist and began to make in a very clear and direct way the bridge between the two. And in the latter part of the 1940s, 48 and 14, 49, that came about in Chile and again in the year of his death in 73, this which seems to beset some societies, uh, uh, a virulent um, anti-communist campaign and he and a number of others, intellectuals, poets, activists, union leaders who were Marxists, were expelled from Chile and he then fled out of Chile went to Europe, to China, to Russia, to back to Mexico. And all of this time that there's a constant creative process through the pen taking place with Neruda. And there are, there are kind of phases, as many poets and artists and those of you who are involved in the creative field know, in which in periods of li life tend to represent one's concerns and Neruda is no exception to that. During, during the 50s and then certainly into the 60s, Neruda began to gain greater and greater acclaim to the point that by the 1960s and 1970s he was and still is regarded as in the contemporary um, period that, uh, that we are living in, the foremost poet of South America. And when Sartre, the uh, philosopher, French existentialist, was offered the Nobel Prize for literature, Sartre said, this is in 63, this prize ought to go to Neruda. He is the one on this planet who deserves it. And some, a few years later, as was appropriate, Neruda received the Nobel Prize. Then came that very, 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 very tragic period of uh, Chilean history in 73 when there was uh, the plot and the undermining of this uh, progressive and reasonably caring and thoughtful Allende uh, government which was um, replaced by a right-wing military regime. And in that period of time, um, Neruda died. So the name of the poem is Keeping Quiet. Now we will count to twelve and we will all keep still. For once on the face of the earth Let's not speak in any language. Let's not stop.
for one second, sorry, let's stop for one second and not move our arms so much. It would be an exotic moment without rush, without engines. We would all be together in a sudden strangeness. Fishermen in the cold sea would not harm whales and the man gathering salt would look at his hurt hands. Those who prepare green wars, wars with gas, wars with fire, victories with no survivors, would put on clean clothes and walk about with their brothers in the shade, doing nothing. What I want should not be confused with total inactivity. Life is what it is about. I want no truck with death. If we were not so single-minded about keeping our lives moving, and for once could do nothing, Perhaps a huge silence might interrupt this sadness of never understanding ourselves and of threatening ourselves with death. Perhaps the earth can teach us as when everything seems dead and later proves to be alive. Now I'll count up to twelve, and you keep quiet, and I will go. Now we will count to twelve in the first verse and we will all keep quiet. For once on the face of the earth, let's not speak in any language. Let's stop for one second and not move our arms so much. It's one of these peculiar phenomena of life and the whole movement of life. It's as though we participate in this life, and life is a field of experience, what else is it? It is simply a field of experience. And that we participate in it, and we carry within this participation an underlying idea. And the idea is propelling us. And this idea of being propelled, which is propelling us, believes assiduously and in, with almost an unquestioning obedience that by doing more, that by being more active, we'll achieve more.
And we have this based to some degree, of course, on our past experiences. When we have done this, this and this, there's been a certain kind of accomplishment in life. And on this idea and foundation, we move in life to the next thing. And so life becomes one of constant moving with the attempt and the endeavour in all fields to maintain this process in the belief that this is really leading somewhere. That this is taking us as the person and as humanity somewhere. And then we support this underlying idea with all sorts of theories of progress, such an important concept in our society, evolution, getting on, and we forget to count to twelve. We forget what it, the significance of what it is just to stop for one second and not move our arms so much. And I wonder if with us, in whatever the social context and social reality of our everyday situation, we were just to apply that idea. The idea that something is fully achieved and actually finds its own fulfilment, not in doing, which is the pre prevalent idea, but in non-doing. Not in action, but in non-action. And that as much as being said in life and communicated with regard to, uh, to non-action, as it is with regard to action. To stop and to be still. It would be an exotic moment, without rush, without engines, we would all be together in a sudden strangeness. You may possibly, as I'm sure Neruda in the communication of language to us here, may have had some sense of this from time to time in our sittings. And I recall this morning just giving a reminder, a reminder to each one of us here. Not only with regard to verbal silence, but also with regard to bodily silence. And just a few words were said about being a little bit more aware of the sounds that we create in the throat, and all the usual forms of um, bodily sound that we create. And one of you left a small note on the uh, clip for me. 
And basically the content of it was um, an appreciation for the reminder. And also the person said, well, why didn't you say this a few days ago? And one of the things which I've noticed, just through time and retreats and so forth, that one can say such things on the first day and on the second day. But it's like the consciousness and the meditative process has to reach a certain level, collectively, together. Then we hear it. Then it registers, then it touches us deeply, deeply enough that we say, I want to give more care. I want to be still. I want to stop for a second. And sometimes, quite spontaneously, in the flow of, of the sittings, the attention has opened, I'm sure as it's done for you, as it's done for me, opens out quite spontaneously and one senses and feels the silence. And there is, in that moment, and those moments, the seeing that we are all together in a sudden strangeness. Fishermen in the cold sea would not harm whales, and the man gathering salt would look at his hurt hands. And sometimes in our sitting here, there comes about a sensitivity in which one's heart's wish and desire is truly not to harm. And there comes about, too, all of us being the man who's gathering salt. And we look at our hurt hands when we're sitting here. Our hurt hands symbolically representing any aspect, any part of our body. Because we've stopped, because we are keeping quiet, because we're looking. And Neruda elsewhere, in speaking of these, speaks something which sometimes we discover, that same sudden strangeness, sometimes when just walking in the nature. I see a bee circling, now the bee is no more. Little fly of the paraffin legs, while your flight strikes again, I bend my head helplessly. I follow a strand that leads to some presence, at least a fixed point of thought. I hear silence adorning itself with the billows' successions. Vertiginous echoes resolve and return, and I sing out aloud. And sometimes in that total non-action, complete non-doing, we see the bee circling. And there is the silence there, that powerful, awesome silence which cannot be held, kept, preserved, so utterly intangible, yet such a presence 
and the silence adorns itself with the wings of a bee. And then Neruda, in his poem, takes it further. It expands out, as we must do, and, and explore ways and means to find out what this silence is in the vast sphere of life. Those who prepare green wars, wars with gas, wars with fire, victories with no survivors, will put on clean clothes and walk about with their brothers in the shade, doing nothing. And yesterday, a good friend of mine who comes here regularly, who's uh, an economist, an academic, who is teaching, lecturing, and is working with people who live in the third world, particularly Africa. And he himself is South African. And then when he came to see me, he said something was on my mind, on his mind, and then he went to speak with me about. And it was about a remark, in fact, that I had made a couple of years ago in the hall here, making a political comment, in which he said, which, to me, in, in result, which I said initially, a comment in which there was a, a tone and a feeling of divisiveness which was made, in which there was a, a, a sharp criticism of a group of people and the political posture that they were, they were taking. And he said how, and his, his words, in terms of militant non-violence, which is the feeling that he got when he was listening to me, how easily such a position and such a, a standpoint, when there's a tone of militancy to it, actually becomes self-defeating. It becomes and expresses itself and is communicated, without one realising it, as a reaction to militant violence, to violence. And in that, there's obviously a divide which is established. And when that divide is established, he said, there is no meeting place, because the diversity of ways of looking at the world are so polarised. And one group or individual cannot comprehend or understand the other. And therefore, some other way, and this I think with this, to some degree, this verse addresses this, in which there is the recognition of differences but exploring the ways and means to establish some, some other kind of connection. And if one takes wars, 
rather than seeing it as they create wars, they prepare for wars, they are the investors in the armaments industry, they are risking our lives, which creates that divisiveness. What he said and what we discussed for um, an hour or so yesterday is that we have to look at it collectively. We have to look at it in a way in which we are stating and communicating and, and feeling that we have created this situation. We are responsible for it. We, humanity, have, have made it as it is. And come out of the divisive way of looking and more to looking from a standpoint of totality. And perhaps, if that is possible, if we can explore that way, way together, perhaps there may be an opportunity to put on clean clothes and to walk about with brothers in the shade doing nothing. What I want should not be confused with total inactivity. Life is what it is about. I want no truck with death. And sometimes too, isn't it, in our confusion, we see non-doing as inactivity. And there's a and a confusion of the mind between the two. Non-doing is being still and counting up to twelve. And in that, that renewal can take place. And out of non-doing comes pure doing. And men and women, for centuries, have given testimony to this. Out of just sitting, which is not doing anything special at all, it's just sitting. Out of just walking, out of just being present, not doing in any kind of familiar mode with regard to what doing is all about. Out of this non-doing can come a pure expression of life. And in it and of itself it is a pure expression. And so often, isn't it, in life, we, we feel we're not ready, or we're not qualified, or we don't know enough, and we refer in our capacity to do totally from the past. And yet historically women and men seem and do find an energy and a, an awareness and an action in which, as it were, they come out of the earth. They come out of the present and know their past lives and what they, past situation, what they were, didn't seem in any way to prepare them for it. And yet that woman, that man, that group emerges without any real 
preparation, without any real training, there is that flowering. And perhaps, there, perhaps consciously or not, there was an, a realizing of what not doing means, the transcendent significance of it. And our situation here, the social reality for us, if it is anything, it is not doing. Luda says, I go lonely among scattering substances. Rain falls and resembles me. In its monstrous derangements, it resembles me. Even rain in a dead world goes lonely, repelled in its downfall, with no resolute form. And sometimes in our non-doing, in our just being here, having seen all the diversity of what is taking place of the sensations and the movement and expressions of thought, and, and the randomness of it. And sometimes we open our eyes on a, rain de- on a rainy day, and we see the drops of the nature, the, the, fall, of the fall of the rain, And we look outwardly, and we look inwardly, and we say, perhaps the difference isn't as vast. Perhaps the gulf between ourselves and those drops of rain are not so great as we assume. Life is what it is about. I want no truck with death. If we were not so single-minded about keeping our lives moving, and for once could do nothing, perhaps a huge silence might interrupt this sadness of never understanding ourselves and of threatening ourselves with death. Perhaps the earth can teach us, as when everything seems dead and later proves to be alive. Just recently, a friend had spent some time in India. And for some of us who have had the joy and the sadness of walking in India, there is there, as with many other places on our earth, a sense of the various extremes of life. And sometimes, when one feels all of this, And I've noticed a number of times, and I've been to India some 15 or 16 times. One comes to the evening, just as you, and equally with the extraordinary sunset that we are privileged to experience here. One comes to the evening times in India or elsewhere, 
and one's heart, mind, one's whole being looks at the sunset. And sometimes the sun, when one looks at it closely, seems far bigger than it's ever appeared before. And it's like at times there's a closeness, an intimacy, a, a familiarity. And when one is reading the poetry of Neruda, and I feel, if I may say, in this, that for us as, if I may say, for, as people, and, and for us as men who so very easily forget non-doing and become alienated from the deeper intimacies of our feeling, Neruda is an extraordinary poet for touching us, for touching us as, as men or as people who feel alienated. And in that, the feeling life and the emotional life and the world around are in no way separate from each other, completely intermingled with each other. And when, when Neruda is speaking of love, when he is speaking of poverty, when he is speaking of the trees and the, and the rivers and the rain, this feeling presence is constantly there, and not in a, a romantic, idealist way, but the way this world is, with all its diversity. And a friend who has just spent some nine months in India, and has just and spent, in fact, some nine years in the last 17 years, a Westerner, a Canadian, came back to our hometown of Totnes, spiritually very much renewed, and we were having in the evening some small, going into the night house, some small group discussions, meditative, and looking at the relationship of mind to silence. And at one, two points in, those, in that, one of those meetings, we all rather spontaneously just stopped. And no words, no movement, nothing that we could say in any way could touch on that silence. And it just filled the, all the cells. It filled that, that living room. And the very presence of it was permeating the deeper regions of ourselves. Perhaps a huge silence might interrupt this sadness of never understanding ourselves. Perhaps the earth can teach us, as when everything seems dead and later proves to be alive. And it's like in our life, and I think sometimes the, the psychics and the sages share a common perception with each other. They share the perception that rather than you seeing life as an opportunity to fulfill personal ends, rather reviewing viewing life and reviewing our connection with life as an opportunity to learn. And perhaps you and I finally are actually here to learn. Not just learn at one level of ourselves, but learn 
throughout the totality of our life. And that learning attitude in all situations gives life a validity. What can the sunset teach us? What can the earth tell us? What can the rainfall reveal to us? What can the psychological climate show to us? What can we give each other? Then Pablo Neruda concludes Now I'll count up to twelve and you keep quiet and I will go. May all beings be still. May all beings stop for one second. May all beings be touched by that huge silence. 